Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast to help you thrive and raise the bar in your aesthetics practice. I'm Dr. Adam Chong. And I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Dr. Tim Pierce is the founder and director of SkinViva and SkinViva Training and a general practitioner. And Dr. Adam is a trainer at SkinViva Training and a clinician at SkinViva as well as being a GP. Great. So, Tim, today we thought it would be nice to talk about some of the... Um, I guess some of the emotional aspects with regards to starting in aesthetics, um, some of the, the, the doubts and, and ideas that go through our heads, um, and particularly it would be great to hear you know, your, your views on this when you were first starting out. Um, so wh- where do you think would be a good, a good place to start there? Well, I could, you could start on the day that I did my first training course and, mm-hmm. and I actually called my wife and said, I don't think I want to do this, but I've spent a thousand pounds on it, which was an interesting moment. And that was at lunchtime. Mm. And it was, <laughs> it was essentially because I didn't enjoy the vibe of the course and the fact that people, people were being told that there was stuff wrong with them. Like it didn't okay. feel like a service. It felt like a disservice that models mm. were coming in. And then it happened to me and I was only 27 and someone on the course said, you need to sort, I think it was my crow's feet out or something. Uh-huh. Um, so, and I just felt like the whole thing didn't feel very, um, like it was a service to anyone other than the person who was who was going to pay for it, so mm. I didn't like that. And uh, but at the same time, I did feel I felt really gutted because I'd spent what was a lot of money um, at, at that point because I was on a different banding. So I, I was like, mm. it wasn't something I was willing to waste. Yeah. So I, I kind of decided I should I should give it a little bit of a go. But I also, in order to maybe at least get some of the <laughs> some of the and back the cost of the course. Yeah, but at the same time, it didn't feel like something I wanted to commit to long term, so which uh-huh. is an interesting. But, mm. it, but obviously, as soon as I left, I started to think more about how can I do this on my own terms, uh, which I've been doing ever since. Um, which the the journey from who you think you have to be to just being yourself is quite um it's quite a good journey to go on, no matter mm. what you do in life. Um, Okay, so when you say your own terms, what, how, how did you start to f- um, form those, those ideas and those, those terms, as it were? Well, actually, I think I, I, all, I, I never wavered from, from, from not refusing to do this thing of, basically, I call it pushing someone into a hole and then selling them a ladder. Um, but, but I didn't do it very elegantly at the start. In fact, I, I always remember this guy coming in to see me in the first year who got really cross with me because I wouldn't tell him what was wrong with his face. <laughs> and he kept saying, like, just tell, just tell me what I need. And I was like, well, uh-huh. I don't want to make you feel worse. So, and, then, and then it didn't feel like a fair equation. But what I hadn't realized then is that I hadn't got his story out of him, which is what I go on about all the time. If, if he'd told me why, because he was there for an important reason, there was something missing, lacking, or that he thought he could improve upon which he hadn't told me yet. He just came in and said, you just tell me what I need. But mm-hmm. I didn't know because I didn't know, I didn't, I'm not an expert on his needs. I'm, I might have been on the way to becoming an expert on faces, but I wasn't yeah. an expert on him. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's the whole equation. Basically, as soon as I gave up thinking that aesthetics is about trying to make everyone look uh, as young or as beautiful as possible and realizing that actually aesthetics is about, about rewriting people's disempowering stories of themselves and so that they can get on and have a better life yeah like everything fell into place because then then there's real value you can add i always thought you know like if i change something on on their face and they don't actually feel better then what have i achieved i mean who who's it for like mm-hmm. it's not because it, actually other people don't care either like if it's, yeah. if, <laughs> so so it's not i needed to, i needed to figure out that the real benefit was in the well-being of patients and once I realized that everything had to link to well-being, 
then I became much more much better at, at, at actually consulting people but because before then I was as long as it was a solvable problem that was enough for me like you know someone comes in with a frown line they don't like well I can remove that frown line and you're happy mm. um, it was the tell me what I need questions or what do I you know that always I felt very uncomfortable until I figured this out I can really relate to what you're saying the way I've been taught by you and the team here um, is um, very holistic assessments um, so I, I also find it a, a little bit less comfortable when someone comes and says no you tell me what you're the expert you tell me what I need uh, and that's, I mean, it'd be good to get some more tips from you there, how, how we deal with that. But I do find that a bit more difficult because there isn't a narrative. There's not a story and a background of why um, they've developed a frown line, for example. So then it almost feels to me a little bit more like, well, am I going to make you feel worse by telling you what's wrong with your face? And I know there are sort of subtle ways of, of introducing ideas of um, how we age. But yeah, that, that's still something I struggle with. So perhaps I'm at a similar stage to what you were feeling yeah, in, you, in your and, earlier days. And a, any decent person feels uncomfortable with exacerbating a problem yeah. in that way. So or, or highlighting something which was never previously known, perhaps. Yeah. So um, the, the, the highlighting things that weren't previously known, that's, a, that, that's exactly the issue. And, and, mm. um, but, but what I've become aware of is that the conscious awareness of something is not necessarily the same thing as not knowing about it. If you're unconscious yeah. of it, it doesn't mean you don't feel it. Yeah. So the, the classic example is, and, and in fact, we all get this at some point where you look at a picture of yourself and you think, God, I look like my dad or, mm. you know, in your mum, <laughs> yeah. uh, whatever it is. But what you're saying is I look, my face is changing shape into some, something that, I, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Mm. And particularly if that's associated with negativity, which I now know, actually looking at my own face, I'm getting, uh, my granddad had a proper um, long kind of uh, kind of frown to mm -hmm. his mouth and I can see by the changing fat pads in my face, I'm going to get that. And mm -hmm. it, it doesn't make me happy. <laughs> yeah. um, I don't, it's not something at the moment that's, that's a part of the story of something that's holding me back at all. But I know at some point it will become that if I look in the mirror and I think I look miserable, but I want to feel happy and those two, there's a disconnect. So, so what you get essentially is the real emotional pain comes from a disconnect between who you feel you are on the, on the inside compared with what you're seeing and feeling when you look at the outside. Mm -hmm. And it's unpleasant. There's a, there's a jolt of where is that happy person I was feeling a second ago. Yeah. They disappeared when I looked in the mirror. I look cross or stressed or tired or there's a distraction on my face that's hiding my true self. Um, and as soon as you realize that the, that's the diagnosis, the diagnosis is that 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 emotional drag that a physical problem causes on your day-to-day -day existence. Yeah. It isn't about the line or wrinkle, it's about the emotional drag that, that causes. And I often wonder, perhaps there are ways you could psychologically change someone, but they're so it's so difficult. I mean, I don't know if you could change the meaning of seeing your face, but seeing it look miserable so that you didn't feel disempowered by it. But that would be a possible cure. I, don't, mm -hmm. I just don't think it's possible. I think it's way easier to just correct it and <laughs> uh -huh. um, for most people that's that's that is very empowering they feel better they beha they behave differently um, and you that's the real value but yeah it's 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 getting away from the diagnosis being the line because that's what your issue is when you don't want yeah, to yeah. make the problem worse as you're saying well there is this line as well oh, sorry if you hadn't noticed that but they're just looking at their face and not liking it because it doesn't feel like it used to in the past mm. or they feel like there's potential for them to be more beautiful but they don't know what what to do they just yeah. have that feeling so you haven't actually changed the diagnosis. So long as you're directly connecting every recommendation to that underlying need of, I want to look younger, fresher, less miserable. So it's a little bit like, 
you may not treat someone's temples if they they keep going on about how it's the, the negative expression on their face that, that gets them down. Yeah. You're probably not going to recommend a temple treatment. If it's about them looking fresher or bet better for their age or less skeletal or more healthy, some people use that might get pulled into it, mm. but but I'd be very when I'm I'd be very open in the consultation about that. I might, and it's actually one of the things you can build to, you can do to build trust, is to point out you can if that if you're doing a full facial assessment, you're very um, methodical. You sometimes come across things that aren't part of the story, mm -hmm. and I will just say that you do have some volume loss in your in the top half of your face too. It's all treatable, but from what you've told me, it doesn't sound like that's the real issue. It's about the negative expression. So I would probably recommend that you invest the greater part of your budget in treating the things that will solve that story and don't worry about things that are simply about aging if, it's not, if it doesn't make you look um, more negative. Um, and that, that's a really good way of you come across as the expert that you are, but you're also not, you're not recommending things that aren't going to make them happy. And patients can really quickly figure out if you're that kind of clinician versus just trying to show off your injection techniques or do as much treatment as possible. Um, yeah, and, and I think something you've always taught me is how to introduce, uh, before you do that facial assessment, is actually how you, you almost signpost them to what you're going to do next, and that you say these are little things that um, subconsciously the brain picks up on, but other people aren't going to notice. And, and that reassures people that, okay, yeah, he is pointing out a few, uh, a bit of volume loss in my temples, but it's not that everyone else is looking at that. This is just the expert eye can pick up on these things, and they are options for treatment, but it doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be a treatment today, especially if it doesn't fit into what my goals are. Yeah. So I call that the, the pixels that make up the picture. Yeah. We, we can all see the picture, but we're unconscious of all the detail that makes up that, the, what makes us feel a certain mm. way. Just like on a screen, you look at a happy face and you think, oh, it's a happy face, but really it's not a happy face. It's tiny bits of lights and little squares. And if you alter each one of those independently, you'll change the picture. Yeah. But you may not change, if you change them subtly, it doesn't change the character of the person. So it's nice. And, and I actually actually do quite a lot of injections while I'm working on someone's face that I know they will never consciously notice. You know, if you're working on a tear trough and basically it's 80% gone and they'll look in the mirror and I know they'll already be happy, but I know that if I chase the other 20%, yeah. that they wouldn't consciously notice the difference, but they will, they will feel it because it, it does make you feel different, even if they don't say, oh, you also got rid of that tiny line there. Mm -hmm. no, they won't notice that, but they do feel it when they look in the mirror because it's one of the pixels that creates the, the, the emotion around looking at their faces pixels that's yeah I like that. that's a good analogy uh okay so we've gone off a little bit on a tangent here um so you we were originally talking about how you were feeling and how you were starting to develop your own method i suppose and your own way of um consulting people that felt comfortable more comfortable with you mm -hmm. so how, how did you how did you shift then how, how did you go from that first course and shifting your mindset to, to starting to build this business I mean you have a very unique um, ethos and, and consulting method here how did you start to, to build that um, I honestly think it's through it's through getting away from the, the discomfort of not doing it well um, I feel I've, I've always had this sense um, like I think I've, I've always read people quite well um, and I also have a quite a, a strong sensitivity around when people are uncomfortable it makes me feel awful as well mm -hmm. like some of it might be purely that you, I don't want to be rejected by them but I can read someone when I'm talking to them and I can tell, most people can if, you, if you're thinking about them, you can tell when they're uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And there are certain triggers for me that, that really make me want to get away from that type of consultation. And in fact, one of my patients said to me, um, 
I know you've got to recommend more because that's your business, but what would you really say? And I was like, oh my God, that's like, that's the opposite. And I I really don't want that. Like Mm. I want everything to be connected with your well-being. And, and, and actually this is the interesting thing, which I passionately believe as well. Mm -hmm. I lose nothing by doing that. And everyone actually weirdly patients think that I'm being generous, but ultimately with this kind of business, it's, I would say it's an oak tree, not a weed. Our reputation and trust is everything. It feels great. It feels so good to help someone out, like, and actually give them what they need. Plus, they pick up that that with you as well. They can see that you're enjoying seeing them happy, yeah. and that bond of trust is. I mean, that's way. I mean, selling an extra filler or convincing them to have something that you know maybe may you know make you feel good because it's a technical achievement for you, or that's no. There's nothing comparing that with the reward of actually understanding them and helping them on in life and, and helping them to get better. Um, plus it's great for business reputation is amazing because you're good at consulting actually I probably actually do a wider range of treatments because I understand the problem better Um, so there's nothing to lose in this and this is why I want to share it I want everyone to do this because um, ultimately I I have I like to think I will contribute in some small way to making the industry better overall because hopefully the best practitioners will by example improve other practitioners um, and for those who don't care about education and don't care about learning more, they're going to get, which will be no one who's listening to this podcast, mm-hmm. um, they're going to get squeezed out of the industry without even knowing what's, without even knowing what's happening because they mm-hmm. will, patients will unconsciously start to choose, or consciously start to choose practitioners who treat them as full human beings, give great advice, care about them afterwards. Um, and I like the thought that that would be a nice positive force in the industry going forward. Um, and plus, it's, it's great for business because you, you're stable, yeah. you have repeat business, you do better treatments, your patients leave five-star reviews for you all the time. Um, so it's it's a win-win. Yeah, um, I mean, on, on that note about reviews, I'm sure we've had a couple of reviews from people that we've actually turned away because after a facial assessment, we've sort of reassured them that the problem they came in about actually isn't an issue if, we, if we've pointed out how it actually fits in with natural proportions and we've we've reassured them then i mean i personally have, have turned a few people away um, and they've actually been really grateful and said thank you so much you've, you've increased my confidence and saved me some money yeah. but I'm, I'm pretty sure we've had a few reviews from that alone which yeah. which says a lot about how that makes someone feel um and it sounds to me like at that point then you were finding a way to amalgamate um, a business model with your principles and your, I guess, your ethical foundations of what you'd, how you'd like to practice. Exactly, yeah. That's exactly what happened. And and the tension was around a belief that maybe a proper business model wouldn't be aligned with that. And so I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. I felt like I was... In fact, I remember saying... At a, I used to run a different training course um, for another business and I had to do the business chat. And once I, I was talking about... They, they made me do this business chat which wasn't in line with my ethos and I was I always used to forget it I never knew why I could never do this flip, this flipping mm. talk and it's because it wasn't what I believed about business and I and in the end once I finished the finished the talk by saying and I suppose one day someone who doesn't believe what I just said which I was putting my own self into will probably come and wipe my business out because they'll be you know cheaper and faster and and get and make more sales and they'll squeeze me out and and actually Thankfully, I've come to the complete opposite conclusion now, which mm-hmm. is that I believe that people, if they know the difference, will will choose rationally, and and ultimately the businesses that care most about their the people that they serve will win. Now they may not win in the short term because yeah. it's, it's easy sometimes to trick people into doing into spending our money and yeah. make a quick sale. But yeah. in the long arc of time, if you can survive the little blips of people who are great at, at PR and marketing, um, I, I think you'll it'll outlast and and. 
and I love that because I, I call that the beautiful symmetry. You really look after the people who you serve and they will really look after you. And I think it's true in everything. It's true with your marriage. It's true with you know business as well. Yeah. Uh, and that's been, a re- that's been the, probably the best thing about this whole journey is I've realized that there is a way for the, for the good guys to win if they're consistent and skilled. You can't just be good. You have to be good at what you do as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's really reassuring. Something else we were going to talk about was um, the, the, the nagging thoughts of, of going from working in the NHS to coming into aesthetics, partly from the stigma attached to the aesthetics industry. Um, I mean, I personally, of all the training schools that I've looked at, when I, when I um, you know, came to meet you for the first time, I really liked uh, your ethos. I immediately got that, that buzz that you, you genuinely care and... I think possibly your GP background really resonated with mine in terms of the consultation that you did. Um, so that was something I've always used as, a, as an argument against people who've sort of asked me, well, why the hell are you going into, into this industry? Well, I feel like saying to people, you know, this, this is not a conveyor belt of a money-making machine. Um, you know, we really are making a difference to people and making people feel better. But, I mean, did, did you have any of those you know, thoughts and or comments from family members that th- this was <laughs> the wrong that. thing to go into. We actually had it on Sunday. We had a family member um, criticizing it. And I think the last time before that was only a week before that. Interesting. So um, okay. it happens all the time. W- but, what sort of things? Well, that it's, um, uh, well, a school reunion one was, you're going to die anyway, so why bother trying? That was this, like, like <laughs> <laughs> essentially, I mean, I am caricaturing that, that argument, but yeah. But it was, we're going to get old, so why, why are you fighting this battle when it's inevitable? Mm-hmm. Which, which is the same, you know, it's an, uh, an, the logical extension is you're going to die, so why bother trying, which is why mm-hmm. I made it. So, um, but, I mean, the biggest thing, because everyone has their own opinion. Some people think it's vain. By that, they mean actually pointless. It doesn't, I think what they mean is it doesn't really improve well-being. They mean mm-hmm. it's superficial and on the inside you're still unhappy which I know not to be the case mm-hmm. unless you treat the wrong person who's got body dysmorphia mm-hmm. um, so uh, but the, the, the thing I mean it felt awful until I sorted my ethos out in fact I'm, I'm quite aware actually that lots of close family members in fact we had letters from family members saying really you know you, sh- you shouldn't be doing this I've got had, a, had an wow. uncle who's he's actually he's a really great physician in his time and I mean really great like he, he was involved with um, with people getting to Everest and, and kind of physiology. And I bonded a lot with him growing up o- over his physiology because I did physiology as a degree as well. Yeah. And I think he was quite disappointed when, when he heard yeah. um, that I was doing a lot of this type of thing. And he wrote this letter about... Um, it, w- it was more about just Botox being a toxin. It was a kind of silly argument, but it hurt, it hurt coming from him because yeah. his, his opinion of me mattered. mattered yeah. um, and uh, I have to say, like even the same letter now it would bounce off me because I'm really I really understand the value and it's not it's one thing saying it it's a, it's, it's a whole different thing experiencing it I mean I have patients come back who will tell me how their life is better and actually in the in the consultation will make a decision about their life to make it better which is mm-hmm. the best feeling which is what I've now strayed into which is I'm it's kind of the cross between treatment and coaching where there'll be a point where if I if I know that there's this thing holding them back in life and I'll, I'll say as part of the deal if I do this treatment for you, will you promise to take that leap that you've been thinking of doing and this has been holding you back? And often they will say yes, but that's a genuine decision. They've actually decided that then and then, mm-hmm. there, there and then, and they will. And then when they actually do that and come back at your follow-up or you know six months or a year's time, it's a, that's an amazing moment because you'd be like, wow, I, I actually made a proper difference to someone's life in mm-hmm. that 
45 minutes that I had. So it for me, that's all the validation I need. I don't yeah. need someone who doesn't understand the industry to come and say, I approve of you. I honestly couldn't care less. Like, I mm-hmm. know the difference I make. It's down to me to look for as many opportunities as I can to make as much of, as much of, as much of a difference to people as I can. And the criticism doesn't matter. So that, I mean, there are a million different criticisms from it's rat poison, it's vain, um, isn't it a waste of your skills? I mean, you're going to hear all this stuff. Everyone hears them as you get into aesthetics. It's money grabbing. You're making money from people's insecurities. Yeah. I've heard all of this before. And I don't care anymore, which is great. I'm free of it. I mean, I tell you what I do care. And actually, I said this to mm-hmm. um, Miranda, who is uh, my wife, who's also... And gets this type of thing and she sometimes gets gets a bit upset about it mm-hmm. what I would recommend anyone to do is to explore it because the very reason that you're having that debate is also the very reason why patients aren't booking in because some of those people also have insecurities about their face that they don't think they can treat because they feel like that would make them vain and they still carry around the baggage of not liking it mm-hmm. but they think well if I have a treatment that changes my identity so the best thing to do when you're getting criticized is to start exploring it. Don't get defensive. Ask them questions. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? So you mean if you have a treatment, that would mean you, you change in your mind into a different type of person. Is that and, and just explore it. See what they say. It's fascinating, the beliefs that are linked underneath to not having these treatments. And the best thing is it's not only fascinating, but you, once you've sorted out your own philosophy, you can see that it's just, it's just fear. It's not real. It's fear of things that are illusions, basically, that you're somehow a different person because you don't like a blemish on your face mm-hmm. it's just not true well one of the things for me personally is is a little bit of the ignorance um, surrounding aesthetics but it's no one's fault i think some botched jobs that always hit the headlines or celebrities that look way overdone and i think that is the perception that a lot of my friends have when they think of aesthetics um and there's always a running you know there's always a joke about um you know filling someone's lips up or someone's cheeks and everyone has, in the room has a laugh um, and I find that quite frustrating and I sort of want to sit everyone down and explain that is not what we do at all. Um, it yeah. does happen, unfortunately, but it's, you're right, it's not what we do. And not what we do personally. Um, yeah. Obviously, there are lots of people out there, but I guess that's what your mission is, is, is to, to try and change the industry, get rid of the, the shoddy practitioners that are doing a bad job. Yeah, and, um, but only in, a, in, an, in an indirect way. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm, there are people who want to do it in a direct way. Um, mm. I can't be bothered with conflict, so but I do want to set an example and 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 encourage people to get better and um, and train people who are interested. Like this podcast fits in that really well, and yeah. that that's part of the reason also that I'm sure you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Is it? It's great to contribute something outside of outside of your business, and it's also great because it probably will benefit the business as well. So, but it's 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 that beautiful symmetry again. Put something good out, you'll get something good back. The other thing friends of mine have said is that they feel like martyrs to the NHS. A lot of people we train here come from the NHS. Um, and, and people have actually said, well, I feel like a martyr and I'm going to stay and, and support the NHS. But I mean, I don't know if you have any views on that. I personally feel that there's a lot of miserable people doing a bad job in the NHS. And if, if there is another way to, you know, a lot of people still work part time. You and me both still do NHS work. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure we do a damn good job on that day because we're refreshed, we're not burnt out. The rest of our life and career gives us a great sense of satisfaction. So therefore we go and do a really good job. Um, and I suppose that's where I draw my um, argument and comfort from when people say stuff like that. But it's still not an easy thing to hear day to day. Yeah, I mean, it's, it is tricky. Uh, and I, I do understand that feeling because I love the NHS. I think it's an amazing idea that the that, that no matter who you are, you, there's a safety net and it's a great idea to contribute to. But I mean, I, there were days when I used to do 
many sessions I felt like it was going to explode. There's just so much tension in your body trying yeah. to get through the day and keep up. There's no joy in it. And actually, it, you go from trying to make a difference to firefighting and trying not to let someone die. And you, you haven't got time to care about the stuff that you used to, yeah. used to care about. Um, I definitely enjoy my GP, as you say, more now that I'm not doing it as often. Um, I, don't, I, don't know, um, I don't know if it's necessarily in the NHS's interest long term that you martyr, that people put themselves under that kind of stress. I mean, there is an argument that perhaps that message that, it's, that you're burning out your staff would get a reaction from government and they would actually do something about it. I think it's very short-sighted not investing in the NHS. It's just it's going to, it, it is it, it imposes a cost on the country because people don't work as much and all those all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so we should. It's not necessarily helping in the short term. It's helping in the short term. It's not necessarily helping in the long term. Mm-hmm. I think that that the, they would react if more, and they will react, and that's what's going to happen. Is well, it's always a swing, isn't it? You know, at the moment things are austere. They'll figure out that it's not working, and there'll be a big investment in the next kind of. I think it's already they've already said twenty billion or something. Yeah. So um, I don't know, but I hats okay. off to those people. I do res- I do respect them. I think that's an incredible incredible attitude to do to have. Um, you know, and similarly we both do it for that kind of reason too. But it's um, I don't know if I can sacrifice my whole life. Yeah, agreed. And um, it's probably not fair to to look at other people's careers and, and I guess make judgments till you fully understand. But. Okay, um, I think we should wrap up soon because it's about 35 degrees in this room. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's been really interesting to hear hear that you, you had doubts at lunchtime in your first course. I, I, <laughs> I never knew that. <laughs> That's really interesting. But yeah, uh, and then how you you know used your own ethical principles to, to build a business model. That's interesting. Was there anything else you think that would, would be worth mentioning for the listeners about that journey from, from that first day to, to here? Um. I mean, there's so many things. It's such. I mean, I, what I okay, I'll, I'll give you the best. The best thing I can give you, which is the the best thing about the journey, is not. Um, it's not what you get. Like, it's not the building or your income and stuff like that. It's mm-hmm. it's who you have to become in order to do that. So, um, I do lots of things now that are around. Um, what 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 I you know, for, I'll take a simple example, which is I have to do videos. I used to hate doing videos. I used mm-hmm. to hate public speaking. I used to have horrible. Um, stage fright like proper can't speak stage fright um, and now I do a video every day and that for me is a better thing as an outcome than most of the things people think I'm getting from it so it's yeah. the person you have to grow into be and and it's uncomfortable and it's painful but mm-hmm. it's the best thing you'll ever do um, after having kids but that's also uncomfortable <laughs> and painful so <laughs> but it's a similar thing so the growth so I would say um embrace change and growth and push yourself and try try and do new things and grapple with the issues and the discomfort you have in your head and come up with solutions and you'll you'll build something in yourself that you're really proud of which mm-hmm. is probably the best thing i have out of my business and obviously it's never over so i'm really i'm really grateful to be on that journey still yeah that's great so see see this as a journey rather than just um yeah tr- trying to to get short-term goals yeah the whole thing is a journey and i think that happens as you get out of the initial fear stage of a business as soon as you have certainty of your income you start to look at contribution and, yeah. and that's that's a really nice place to that's be great. it might be useful at some point to talk about social media taking that step for me to, to going on social media again because of the perceptions a fire alarm oh, we've got a fire alarm okay, okay. we'll wrap it up there thank you for listening thank you <laughs> and we'll see you next week